I mean, it's, it's the greatest day of your life by far, um, other than the day that's your salvation. That's, the, that's obviously the greatest day, but there's no other day like it. No other day so radically changes your life. Uh, and in just in a moment, in a second, your, your life's different. And I don't, I don't remember much about it. I know I, know I was nervous. We walked out into uh, the sanctuary area. And uh, I turned with the, the music playing, and there she was walking down the aisle, and my jaw dropped because I was like, gum, she was just, my wife's a beautiful woman, but that day she was drop-dead, cold, stone, dead, fox, gorgeous. And she walked down there, and, and I took her hand, and I don't remember doing the vows. I know we sang our song, uh, Color My World, or it was sung there. And, and then, you know, we went to the reception. There's 500 people at our wedding. It's an unbelievable number of people. It's like a mob more than a crowd. And it took forever to go through there. I know at some point we cut the cake. I don't remember eating any of the cake. Uh, the only thing I really remember about our reception, and I don't know if this is good or bad, is, is taking off our garter belt. I mean, that's cool. You don't forget that. I don't know if they still do the garter belt thing today, but, guys, if they don't, you need to do that because that's, like, the coolest thing ever. You know, and then, you know, we change clothes, and and we leave, and uh, people throw stuff at us. And I, I barely remember that part, but I know this. It's, it's the greatest day in your life. It's the day your life changes. It's I do it over again every day. I would do it again. It's the day you say, I do. I'll tell you, I miss ruffled shirts, and I miss hair. I really, really miss hair. Some of you know what I'm saying. You know, think about marriage. Nothing else changes your life like marriage, not even having kids. I know some of you say, oh, having kids. Listen, let me tell you something. Your kids are going to grow up and leave, theoretically. Yeah, they're going to leave. They're out of your life, theoretically. But the marriage is going to stay. So that's, that's the single event in your life that changes things. And, and here's the deal. Marriages can be messy because life is messy. Right? And because life is messy, marriages get messy. And as I look out here, and I know in this service, between the two other services, we have all different types of people and different types of status in the relationships. We have, we have folks who have healthy marriages. We have folks whose marriages are struggling, and you're thinking about divorce. You may be on your way to divorce. It may be looming on the horizon. We have folks who have been, you know, have been, been divorced, and they're single again. Uh, we have folks who are in their second marriage, their third marriage, some in their fourth marriage. We got people who are just single, never been married. We got folks who are living together. We got folks who are attracted to people of, of the same sex. I mean, it's just everything out there. And, and I know it can be messy when you talk about these types of relationships. And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks, we're going to come to Scripture. Because God has things he says to us, and that's what really matters. We need to know what is God saying. And, and so today we're going to come to the very first, very first marriage, the very first thing before anything else could go wrong in Genesis chapter 2. I do for life. For life. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper that is suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call him. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. But the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper that was suitable for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib 
he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, for she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So as we come to this passage today, here's the thing that I want you to see as we start this series off. God created us with a basic and essential need to share and spend our life with someone in the way he intends. God created us with a very basic need. And that is that we have someone to share our life with, but do it in a way that God intends. And so what I'm going to do today is share some things with you from this passage. And the first thing I want you to see is that God has a plan. And we need to understand that. Now, a very popular uh, uh, preacher uh, from a very large church was asked not too long ago about marriage. And he was asked, well, you know, tell me about a biblical marriage. <laughs> he said, well, what one? David's. You know, adulterous relationship. You want Jacob, who had two wives. You want Abraham, who had his wife Sarah and gave her over to Pharaoh. I mean, which are the messed up biblical marriages you want to talk about? Well, the truth is, when you look in Scripture, marriages seem not to be very neat and tidy. They seem to be messy. But there is a model for what God intends, and that's in Genesis chapter 2. See, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 lays the groundwork for so much. In Genesis 3, sin comes into the world. And we've got to understand, when sin came in the world, it distorted things. It began to destroy things. The basic sin of life is to be our own God. That's what the serpent said. You will be like God, and that's what we want. And that's what sin is, to be in control, to be God of our lives. But before that, there was this, there was this idyllic model of what God wanted. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we are told that God created us, as humans, with both purpose and intent, God was pur- purposeful and intentional in creating us. And he created us, it says, male and female, in the image of God. All of us bear his image. So when you come to the second chapter, the focus is on man, and the focus is on his creation of man. And so God says this, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, it's strange because in chapter 1, everything God makes is good. And now we're seeing there was something not good. Did God make a mistake? Did he forget something? The answer is no. He intentionally and purposely, when he created man, and he created him good, but he created man with a need. And what he needs, it says, is a helper who is suitable for him. Now, the concept of helper is one to come alongside another. It's actually used of God in several places, including... Exodus chapter 18, where it says God helped Moses when he dealt with Pharaoh. So the idea of helper is a positive thing to come alongside of. The word for suitable means to be face-to-face, it's to correspond with. It's the idea of almost of looking into the eye. And so it's the concept of someone who can stand and look at someone else and be a part of their life and share that life and, in the process, be a partner with him. So God said, man needs someone like this. And so he brought all the animals from the garden in front of Adam to let him name them. There's a whole sermon there some other time there as well. And in doing so, he made it obvious to Adam that none of the things created could in any way be the partner he needed. So he caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. And in that moment, he took part of his side. We use the word rib. But he took part of the flesh of Adam. Now, You know, it's popular at this point sometimes when people have these nice romantic stories and poems about, you know, he didn't take them for the head to rule over or the feet to be trampled on, on and on and on. That's nice. But the main thing is not poetic, but doctrinal, theological. Why from the side? Here's the thing. 
Adam was in charge of all of creation. God said, you will have dominion over all the earth, all the animals, whatever there is. In other words, Adam's in charge. Now, that does not mean that he is to abuse creation or, or in some way to destroy it. That's the result of sin. But mankind is in charge of what God has created. Eve was not of the creative order. It's important to realize that Eve was not part of that creation, so it wasn't God's intent for him to dominate and to rule over Eve in a post-sinful world, a pre-sinful world. It's never imagined that that could happen between humans. And so what you have then is her coming from him and being a part of him so that she, along with Adam, are responsible for overseeing creation. She is of his flesh, of the same thing as him, and so they are together as partners to have dominion over creation. Adam said, she is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he called her woman. She was taken from man. Just like the English word woman has the word man, Hebrew is the same way. Now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The bone is that which is strong. It's the skeleton. The flesh tends to be that which is weak, which can decay. She is the strength of my strength, the weakness of my weakness. In other words, she is like him and a part of him and needed in his life. And the importance of this is while there is an sameness to Adam and Eve, there is not an exactness. There are distinctions. They have different functions in the reproductive process. They have different responsibilities in their relationship to each other and what they bring. They bring different aspects of life to the relationship. But there is the importance that they are in every way equal to one another, and they are to be partners in life. And so Moses says in verse 24 and 25, For this reason a man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now Moses is writing a long time after this. And so he's writing in a world full of sin. And so he wants to remind everybody that, you know, there weren't parents back in Adam's day. Obviously, they were the first parents. But, but the process, the, the thing God has in place, is for men to leave the side of, of their mother and father. Now, in the world of Moses back then, the most common thing was when a man and woman got married, the wife left her family and home to go to the man's. It would be easy for her to be overwhelmed by the man's family. So what Moses was reminding them is this. The man is to leave the allegiance of his mother and father to be united to his wife. They are now one flesh. The idea of one flesh is so important. It's not 50-50. I hear people say, well, a marriage is 50-50. No, it's 100-100. You come together and you blend your lives in every capacity. That's why you forsake all other relationships, including your parent ones. Your relationship with your parent are no longer the most important. It's your relationship with your spouse. Uh, in the New Testament, whenever there's a discussion of marriage, in Matthew 19, they ask Jesus about divorce. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about bringing order into some of the imbalance in the family. They always refer back to the one flesh relationship. This is what God intends. Now, as an aside, let me just say this. We have all different types of people here of all different parts of marriage and not married. But parents, when your kids get married, butt out. Leave them alone. I mean, seriously, don't quit meddling. Now, kids, it will help if you don't live in your parents' home. So quit bumming off your parents living in the basement. That will help. Now, parents, if your kids are still bumming off you, that's a parental problem. You know, get real. But here's what I know. When young couples come to me and they struggle, almost every time, you know why they struggle? It's because one of the parents is interfering. You know which parent it almost always is? Mom. Some of you guys are pointing. You don't point to them. Sorry. I get you. I hear you, brother. I see that. It's always the mom. 
It could be the mom's, the, the bride's mom. It could be the groom's mom. It's always the mom. It's never the dad. You know why it's never the dad? Dad don't care. <laughs> Let them go. They can live in the backyard. They can, they can get a tent. Dad don't care. Mom's always interfering. Now, don't do that stuff. So here's the thing. They become one flesh, and it says they were both naked and not ashamed. They're naked. You know, when the first sin occurs, you know what happens? They make clothing for themselves because they were ashamed. Here there was no shame because there was no sin. Now, this is the thing. This is God's intent. When you keep reading in Scripture, what you begin to see is that the marriage unit begins to crumble, and there are problems. God reveals to Moses certain laws and regulations to guide marriage. You come to the book of Leviticus, there's all these laws about sexual relationships. And certain things begin to emerge, and we need to realize the importance of them. For instance, adultery and promiscuity are forbidden, and they're sinful because it's a trespass against somebody else's family unit. It's one individual oftentimes destroying his or her family to enter into the family relationship with someone else and destroy that relationship as well. So trust is gone. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's vengeance. It's, a, it's an evil thing to happen. Incest, for instance, is forbidden because it blurs the lines of relationships. It blurs the responsibilities within family. Homosexuality is, is forbidden because what it does is it changes the roles of men and women. It confuses the process of reproduction. All of these things are outside of the parameters of what God wants to the result of sinfulness. Here's the thing. All, all sexual sin alters God's intent and design for man. It is an uneven exchange of what God intends that is rejected for something else that is less. So it's an uneven exchange. It's where we reject what God intends and take what we intend. The process is the exchange doesn't work because what we intend is sinful. So here's the thing. Regardless of the situation you're in, we need to realize the principle God has in place. That's here in Genesis chapter 2. A husband and a wife should view each other as lifelong partners in a lifelong relationship blessed by God. You are lifelong partners in a lifelong relationship blessed by God. Now, the reality is that rarely works out that way. And we have all sorts of stuff going on in the world we live in, and marriage and family can be so messy and so from this point on, this week and the next three weeks, we're going to try to see how we can work to achieve what God wants us to achieve and knowing all this stuff goes on. So let me start by this and realize that God's plan for you is what matters. We need to see God's plan for us. And so regardless of your situation, regardless of where you are, you know, just listen to what I have to say. Because what God, what God says to us in Scripture still works. All of us can get something out of this. So here's the thing. Marriage is a forward-looking relationship about how life should and can be lived with God in mind. Okay? When you take God in mind, marriage then is forward-looking about how life can and should be. You can't change the past. You simply can't. Uh, I was a history major in college. Uh, it's my degree. I love the past. love history. past is a wonderful place to visit, horrible place to live. can't live there. And, and, and so the one thing you need not to get bogged down in is to talk, look at your past and say, I've got all this baggage from my past. There's no way I can move forward. You can't look at it that way. Now, maybe there's some sin that you haven't asked forgiveness for. Okay. 
Maybe there's some things that you need to clarify in your past so that you can move forward. Okay. But you can't live there. You can't just beat yourself up over in the past because you can't change it. You can't change any of it. Marriage looks forward to live as God intends. In every aspect of our life, we need to honor God. And we honor God in our marriage. And so you move forward. Um, when I was a youth minister, and this was probably back in 1982, so I was 21. One of my youth came up to me. Now, she's just 16. Understand, I'm 21, she's 16. There's not, there's not that much gap between us. And, and it was a camp, and it was one of those nights, and, and the preacher preached about sex and all that stuff, and she was just overcome with guilt because she had slept with her boyfriend and didn't know what to do. And the only thing I could know to tell her then, it's the same thing I tell her now, you can't change what happened. Seek forgiveness, and then from this point forward, you live the way God intends. About seven, eight years later, uh, one of the youth from that group had a parent died, and I came back to you know, help with the funeral, and, and she was there, and she was talking. Now she was divorced, and she had a kid, and she was in the same place. What do I do? You know, I messed up. And I'm like, same thing I told you a while back. From this point forward, you just go on with life. You can't change the past. Now, I think about her today, and, and we're, we're friends through social media. You know, she's got another second marriage, and there's a blended family, and there's all sorts of kids, and they're happy, and they're honoring God and living for God, because here's why. At some point, she realized, can't fix the past. But marriage is always forward-looking with the way that God intends it to be. You always must look how things can be from this point on. No matter where you are, from this moment on, honor God. Which brings me to this. Be sure then... The value and worth of each other is held in the highest regard. You have to be sure that you value each other. You recognize the worth. In a marriage relationship, you must recognize the value each of you have. Some of you are single. If you're in a relationship you know, and that person doesn't value you, they don't appreciate your worth, they don't respect you, here's what you do. Kick that person to the curb and go on. Because I'm telling you, it ain't ever going to change. You can't change anybody. Women always think they can change men. You can't change us. We're unchangeable, man. I mean, Debbie, I got married 37 years ago almost. Uh, so almost 37 years. And, and I remember early on, she wanted me to help her make the bed. I got to tell you, I don't care if the bed's made. I did a lousy job. She was so frustrated. Like, get away. I'll just do it. I'm like, fine. That was my option number one to begin with. You just do it if you want it made. I don't care about making it. Even to this day, occasionally she wants me to help make the bed. I'm like, all right. And, she, you know, she gets frustrated because... This is the thing. My heart's not in it because I know this. In a few hours, I'm going to back in there again. Why make it up? It's like a waste of my valuable time and effort and energy. My skills could be better utilized on the couch, evaluating the football game. A lot of things I can do better. And it's always like, well, when somebody comes over, shut the door. Don't let them in. But here's an idea. Don't let them in the house, period. We got 12 locks on our front door. Use some of them. Keep them out. I don't care. You're never going to change me. There will never be a point in my life where I care if the bed's made. And if there is, call the hospital. I've had a stroke. Get me there as quick as you can. You can't change people. It just doesn't work. So here's the thing. Here's what you do. Appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of the people you're going, you know, in your life, especially the person you're going to marry. So appreciate the strengths and the weaknesses of your spouse. And if you're not married to the person you're going to get married. They have strengths that are vital. They have weaknesses. You've got to realize that. They're bringing that to the relationship. It's not going to change. Maybe their weaknesses could get a little better. Okay. But they have strengths. They have weaknesses. So do you. And it's okay. 
And you've got a root line. You're going to bring strengths and weaknesses to every relationship. Some of you that are single understand that. Whoever you marry, there are going to be things that they do that irritate you and tick you off. It's okay because you do the same thing to them. They just don't tell you if they're the guy because it isn't worth the hassle. Know this. Girls, you can tell the guy what's wrong with you. God doesn't ever tell you the same. It ain't worth it. So here's the thing. You have that. With that in mind, appreciate the value each of you have in that relationship. Because each of you have value. Appreciate the value the other person brings. There's value that Debbie brings to our marriage. That Without that value, there would be something missing in my life. And so I need to appreciate that value. Let me put it this way, and and I almost hate doing this. (laughs) I I almost hate saying it this way because uh, basically I'm going to take a line out of this movie that I actually hate this movie and I don't like the guy in it. But in the movie, Jerry Maguire, uh, this is a chick flick, beyond. It's not even a Hallmark movie. I can't even stand watching it. Here's the thing. Tom Cruise comes into the room with Renee Zellweger full of a bunch of nutjob feminists. No offense to you nutjob feminists. Don't write that up on the board either in the back. Here's the thing. And he looks at Renee Zellweger and he says, what does he say? You complete me. Oh, I hate that. It's true, though. That's the way God made us. God made us, men and women, to find someone who completes or perfects you. And you need to value that. If you're not married yet, even if you're close to it but not yet, if the person you think about spending your life with, and when that person comes back, because I know some of you think, I'll never get married. Yeah, you will. Here's the thing. If they don't in some way complete you, don't marry them. Now, if you're in that relationship already, then you might need to get some help in your relationship. But here's the thing. How do you help complete the person you're married to? It matters to God. Which brings me to this then. Understand and establish with each other, the permanent, God-intended absolutes concerning marriage. There are some absolutes concerning marriage. And so I'm going to share with you about four of them that come from this passage. You don't need to establish, if you're already married, these are things you need to implement in your home, period. If you're not married, you're engaged, be sure you work this in there. If you're just not even close to being married, these matter. The first is this. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. It just is. So when I marry someone, I remind them, yours is a commitment that can be broken honorably only by death. Only death breaks your commitment honorably in the eyes of God. Now, let me just say, I know sometimes people in really bad situations, sometimes especially women, an abusive situation, you know, and and so here's, listen, we live in a sinful, fallen world. Some things can't be helped. And, and And I've many times dealt with people who are in just bad situations, and I say, get out of it. Just get out, just do it, because the marriage is already destroyed. If, if somebody, especially a guy, is abusing a wife or children, they've already destroyed the marriage, okay? You got that? And so, and, and I know pastors say, no, man, you got no matter what. They're, they're just crazy as a loon. Listen, sometimes women have two choices. They can either divorce the guy or shoot the guy. Those are the only two options they have. And so I'm just honest. I understand that happens. That's not normative, but I recognize sometimes the marriage gets to a point and there's nothing that can be done. I get that. But that does not change the fact that it's a lifetime commitment. The fact that the commitment's broken, it happens. But it is a lifetime commitment, and you need from this point forward to be sure that your commitment to a person is for life. 
The other thing is this. <coughs> Second thing, faithfulness in marriage is essential to its success. Be faithful. That, here's the thing. So important is faithfulness that in the New Testament, it is the, really the one, one reason that Jesus allows for a person to divorce another person without committing a sin, if they're unfaithful. Now, Paul mentions abandonment, which is, which is there as well. But here's the thing. Most marriages that fall apart, in my experience of dealing with them, somebody was unfaithful. And it's just tough to get past all that. It really is. I, I, I get it. And so the marriage crumbles apart because there is infidelity. Which brings me to this next point. Love your spouse more than you love anyone else on earth. Love your spouse more. I shouldn't have to say that, but do that. And part of that means this. Don't get involved in relationships with members of the, other, of the opposite sex, of other people, other than your spouse or someone else's spouse. Don't become too close to friends to be intimate with them at all. I mean, listen, this is one of the things I say. I don't have any female friends unless they're friends of Debbie and I and they're probably another couple. There are a few exceptions, people I work with. There are some group situations where that might change. But for the most part, I don't want to have any female friends that Debbie's not involved by myself. I just don't do it. I don't have female friends. Some people say, well, you don't have any friends, period. That's not true. I know I have at least two because there's a signed contract and money exchanged hands. So I know I have some friends. <laughs> One of them tried to get out of it. I said, right there, I gave you money. It's notarized. You can't get out of that friendship. You're stuck with it. And I would like to think the guys on staff are friends, but I know better than that. They're just there. So here's the thing. <laughs> there is no one in your life more important than this person you commit to spend your life with. Period. Which brings me to this. Trust God in the marriage journey. So ultimately, you've got to trust God. Because marriage is a messy thing. It's hard. It's not easy. But you've got to trust God. I mean, it, it, it's just one of those things. Marriage is a lot like that cake in that background. That cake's pretty. And over time, that cake starts to crumble and fall apart and deteriorate. Marriages can do that if you're not careful. And so you need God all along every step of the way. Because when you commit your marriage and your life to God, it's a lot easier to live a married life the way God intends. It doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. It doesn't matter if you're in a healthy marriage, if you're in an unhealthy marriage. It doesn't matter if you're single again, married again, single for the first time, you have kids, you don't have kids. It doesn't matter you're living with somebody. Whatever your situation is, these are the things that God expects. And while you cannot change the past, the future is a whole different matter. But for any of this to work, you have to commit your life and your marriage to God or it doesn't stand a chance. When I was in seminary, probably this was 84, 85, and uh, my seminary, I did my seminary out of Southwestern, but it was in San Antonio campus that professors would fly in. And one day my preaching professor, Dr. Nelson, I love Dr. Nelson, he was there, and uh, Dr. Nelson looked troubled for some reason. So, he set us down. He says, guys, I want to talk to you. Just put your pencils and all that stuff away. This is not about preaching. This is about life. And he talked about how the day before he had been in a church preaching. And then there, 
in the congregation was an old friend of his who had gone to seminary with him. God was a great preacher, but he had to leave the ministry because he had an affair and it killed his ministry. And they were talking. Dr. Nelson asked him how he was doing. He said, Jimmy, it's tough, man, because I'm not doing what God wanted me to do. I messed it up, and I can never go back and recapture that. And as Dr. Nelson looked at us, he said, guys, I've been thinking about this. Here's what I want you to know. This is what matters. He goes, I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in a lot of ways. But one thing I can tell you is that when that time comes, I can look my wife squarely in the eye and say to her, honey, you are the only one. Only one. That's God's will. Only one. When you say I do, you say I do for life with one person. Some of you today, you maybe have a situation in your life where you just need to pray with someone about your marriage. It's common. In fact, it happens all the time without even preaching on marriage. So in invitation time, you know, some of us will be up here. There will actually be, some of you I know it's women. Sometimes you prefer to pray with women, so there will be some women up here. There will be one woman here, and there will be another one in the back, another guy in the back. So if you're in the back, you want to head to the back to cast someone pray with you, that's fine. But if you just want to pray about your marriage, maybe you're struggling. Maybe your marriage is in a tough place. Maybe you just need help. You just want someone to pray with you with her to do that. Now, some of you, you need to, to look at your life and say, you know, I can't change the past. I've got some problems with the past. I need some forgiveness. You may need some forgiveness. If you need forgiveness, seek forgiveness from God or whoever. But you may just need to say, from this point forward, I need my marriage to be the way God intended it to be. And so maybe you just want to commit your life and your marriage that way. You can do it. You don't even have to come forward to pray. You can do that where you are at. But if you want someone to pray with you, you just want to pray, God, I'm, I'm giving my marriage completely to you. From this point on, I'm committed to living my life in a married way, as you said in Genesis 2. Maybe there's some other needs in your life. Maybe you have some kids or family members who are struggling in their marital relationships. You want to pray for them, and we can do that. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. I haven't talked about that. You can always give your life to Jesus. If you're not comfortable coming forward, you want to take a Connect card and write on that Connect card a prayer request or something, put it in there. Listen, after the service, there will be a table out here in this corner outside these doors. One of the pastors will be over there. If you just want to go in and talk to a pastor and not want people seeing you do this, that's fine. I get that. But here's the thing you need to understand. Well, I can't tell you what you need to do. What I know is this. All of us need to walk out of here committed for one thing. That when it comes to marriage, that we will say, I do for life. For life. Father, we thank you for the privilege, blessing of marriage. And I know it's messy, and there are a lot of messy, messy relationships. I get that. But God, you can fix and heal and weave all of them together. But what we have to do is make one simple commitment. That when it comes to our life that way, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, we want to do it your way. We want to do it just like in Genesis 2. So forgive us for the failures. Help people in their hearts to receive the forgiveness they need. Help heal the brokenness that's there. Help heal, Father, the fractured relationships. But more than anything else, move us all to say, I do for life. Move us all, God, to say, I do for life. And we'll honor Christ and we'll glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here if you need to come.